0: And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. So glad that you are tuning in today because it's uh, another wonderful edition of Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. Send your questions over 877-933-2484. Today's power panel is Jeff Verdorn, Trevor Rubenstein, and Matt Fry. Just a show of hands, how many in this room are Jewish and followers of Jesus? (laughs) By raising your hands. Looks like there's two, Jeff. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So Trevor and Matt. Glad to have them here. It's really fun. This All has right. been fun. It is fun. All right, gentlemen, here's a question. How would you answer Christians that say they have the belief that mere man wrote the scriptures, not inspired?
1: Ah, uh, so mere man, coming from Christians, huh? How um, would you answer Christians that say they
0: have the belief yes. that mere man wrote the Scripture not inspired?
2: That's a good... Yeah, well, I, I think... <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be too abrasive, but I, I think to claim to be a follower of Jesus and not, I mean, when you look at Jesus, he is the embodiment. He is the living word, right? In him is full deity and full humanity, right? He, he is the, the fullness of the word made flesh, right? When we're looking at the inspired scripture, when we're looking at, at, at God's written word, we're seeing the same thing played out right we're seeing that yes it is written by man and we see all of the the personality dynamics come out within the scripture that's why you can tell the difference between the author of hebrews and and the author, and and john right writing first john and the gospels right or in the gospel so as we process this i think we have to recognize that uh, as believers, we should, there is a continuity between the written word, which is fully divine and fully man, and the living word, Jesus, who is fully divine and fully man. I also think that if we're going to just be authentic, like if we're just uh, you know laying aside all our pre- presuppositions, if we're just going to authentically take the scriptures for what they're saying, even if you think it's written by mere man, that's not what the scriptures claim for themselves, mm-hmm. right? And so when, when Paul says that all scripture is God-breathed, right? We you have what are you going to do with that, right? How how are you going to navigate that? What what does that mean? And I think what you you have to do some kind of hermeneutical gymnastics if we're going to mm-hmm. use that 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 example in order to get around the fact that at least Paul believes the scriptures are inspired, that God breathed them out, right? So so you know you, you can come to it and say whatever you want, but it, that you have to tackle this idea that what do the scriptures claim about themselves? They claim to be written by they claim to be yes written by man. But more than that, right? The scriptures say that that the, the that men were carried along by the Spirit, right? As God was helping them here. Yeah, and part of it uh,
1: really is prophecy, of course, uh, where um, God expresses this actually in Isaiah, and uh, as he's writing to uh, Cyrus, and he's actually calling him by name before he even lives, talking about his mission for him. Uh, but he identifies himself; the Lord identifies himself is the only one who knows. The past, present, and future. He knows what will happen. You see, man, uh, man can predict things maybe with a certain level of accuracy, obviously not always incredibly accurate, but, uh, but God knows. Uh, he knows, he knows what happens. He knows what's happening in the hearts of man, and exposes that powerfully in His Word. And even more, even maybe as an testament to ourselves as to who He is, He also tells us what's going to happen in the future. So, things that we have seen prophesied. In the scriptures, starting with uh, the um, with the with the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob being uh, captured in Egypt for 400 years, we we see this prophesied before it occurred. Uh, we see things um, like future leaders prophesy. So, in the book of Daniel, it goes through different kingdoms that were coming, starting with the Babylonian kingdom, progressing to Medo-Persia, to Greece, and even speaking about Rome before the Roman Empire even existed and even making the statement that during the time of the Roman Empire, the Messiah was going to come, which of course Jesus did. Uh, These are in books that we know that existed way before any of these events occurred. And so uh, clearly God shows us who he is and that he speaks through his word in supernatural ways that uh, would be very difficult to argue against if we're going to be honest with the
3: text. Yeah, I heard one commentator describe fulfilled prophecy in Scripture, and by the way, there's hundreds of prophecies in Scripture that have been fulfilled about events and people and kings and kingdoms, just as you described, Trevor, and that this idea that God can tell the future and is the only one who can do it with 100% reliability over and over is like God's fingerprints on the Word of God. And so you have to get to the point, Christian, if this is about a Christian, look, there was this seminar called the Jesus seminar a few decades ago, and they decided they were going to determine what Jesus actually said and what he didn't say. So they they cast lots with marbles to determine whether or not things would stay in the Bible or not. Like, you know, that miracle is out and that phrase is out and that word is out, but this one's in and so on. If you're going to start picking and choosing, you run the risk of picking and choosing the wrong thing. And if you happen to pick the resurrection of Christ and the part of Scripture that says he rose from the grave, all of Christianity is just going to fall apart before your before your eyes. Christianity is based on the resurrection. We know about the resurrection because it's in the Word of God. If we can't trust the Word of God, then we can't trust that Jesus conquered the grave and conquered death and rose again and sits at the right hand of the Father today, and that's where we put our faith and our trust. So as a Christian, I would exhort this person, we better get to the point where you can establish the reliability of Scripture as being divinely inspired.
0: Thank you for that, Jeffrey Darn. All right. 877-933-2484. I'll say it slower. 877-933-2484. Here's a question, gentlemen. Can you explain the group Hebrew Roots?
1: Is it a cult? <laughs> yeah. So, uh... This is a recent development, right, I think, uh, so this becomes a little complicated. But uh, but the term Hebrew roots is uh, is something that probably simply, at least initially, was referring to going through the Scripture and understanding uh, Hebraic origins in those things. It can be beneficial, for example, as we uh, take a look. Uh, For example, through um, the Last Supper that uh, Jesus has with his disciples, and we can clearly see that it is a Passover Seder, and then going back to see what a Passover Seder looks like, it actually can add depth and understanding to the historicity of the things that we believe. The problem Eventually, starts to happen when groups like this, as they're starting to question some preconceived beliefs properly, sometimes they might question things improperly, and, uh, and there's a lot of differences within any group that calls themselves Hebrew Roots so hebrew roots again could be uh, just people questioning or looking into the historicity of scripture but it can also be individuals questioning for example the divinity of of jesus uh that that is a a component not an only component some groups would that would consider themselves hebrew roots some compo- some groups wouldn't the the way that they would put um, they would actually go back to rabbinic teachings, which is uh, rabbinic Judaism develops after the time of Jesus and say that this is actually the direction we could go, which also can become destructive. If they start looking at and denying that we are saved by grace through faith, as Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 9 states, instead says that we have to do these things in this way in order to be saved. The that Where people start to uh, look back at some of these holidays and decide that they need to uh, celebrate them in the exact same way, for example, you'll see groups that uh, maybe now are determining that they have to sacrifice lambs on the Passover. I mean, it gets extreme within some, but it's really hard to pinpoint with any organization in general. I believe, and I don't know if this is accurate, but I believe from at least what I've seen, it seems to be maybe the fastest growing cultic movement in america um, the the term in itself doesn't necessitate uh, that somebody's cultic because they're looking at hebrew origins of faith but uh but or but certain organizations definitively are from some of the positions that they take within uh, hard to pinpoint exactly um dangerous movement um, and something that uh, unfortunately i have to address too often
0: yeah but thank you for that trevor rubinstein <laughs> all right Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Lots of great questions coming in. Uh, there's a question that came up regarding Matthew chapter 27, verses 51 through 56, and in particular, verse 52 and 53, and if you guys know that, the tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And the question is, it's an unusual question Passage of Scripture. Can you comment about it?
3: These are described, are uh, called the Matthew twenty-seven saints. Um, we we don't know how many there were. We don't know who they were. We don't know how long they were in the grave. But I think we do know this. Uh, scripture is clear that Jesus is the first to be resurrected unto his glorified body, the first to be resurrected to glory. And it says in this passage that they came out of their tombs the moment that Jesus died. Well, he had not received his resurrected body yet. So one of the first questions we have to decide, are these people in their resurrected bodies, or is this a resuscitation, uh, kind of like Lazarus, that these people had recently died, came back to life at the moment of Christ's death, and then walked into the city uh, after his resurrection? Um I conclude, I've concluded by studying this, that these are people that came out of their tombs like Lazarus. They came back to life not in their glorified bodies, and therefore, just like Lazarus, they would die sometime again. And they would have been testifying to the fact that they had been raised just like Lazarus. Remember, the Pharisees didn't like the fact that this guy came out of the tomb and they wanted to kill him again to to destroy this, uh, this walking testament to the power of Christ. And I think that probably happened to these folks as well. Uh, But I think it's clear that the only person that has received a glorified, resurrected body to date, our resurrection is yet future for both the dead in Christ and those who are alive and remain. We have a future glorification that awaits us, but Christ is the only one who's been glorified to date. So I think we can conclude that these Matthew 27 saints were resuscitated out of their graves.
0: Nicely done, Jeff Ferdorn. Take a break. We'll come back lots more time for your question. I know you have one. Maybe you heard a sermon recently, or you were in a discussion in a Bible study, or you just read something yourself, and it's been, it's been in your head for a while. Get it out. Send it over, 877-933-2484. My panel is Jeff, Trevor, and Matt. They are ready to take your questions. Be right back. Hi there and welcome. If you are a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome packet gift. Request yours today at (laughs) MyFaithRadio.com. They just can't stop talking, can they? That's great. (laughs) That's what makes Guy Talk so much fun because right during the break, we don't quiet down for a second we just keep talking it's really great to have you joining us today if you have a question for the power panel let me know 877-933-2484 jeff Ferdorn, trevor rubenstein and matt fry are my guests today so glad to have them here all right gentlemen uh, when a loved one dies sometimes people say things like they are now up in heaven watching over us mm. is that really true when we die are we looking
2: down protecting our loved ones still on earth Man, what a question. Those are, I feel like those are only questions that come up. And this, this says something about like when somebody dies or like when there's a tragedy or like a really hard event, that is the time when these questions come up. And, and sometimes they're not really easy answers to give. Um, I, 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 I as we think about this, I, I think the way that I would go is to say that, you know, when we read Revelation, they're, they're the martyrs, right? And they're asking, Lord, how long before you, you bring your justice, so it seems to be we have at least some category of an awareness of what is going on on earth, right? I, I think that we can we can at least affirm that. But that question that was asked was pretty specific. Are they looking down? Are they protecting? I don't know if I would say that we have enough scripture uh, to, to speak to that with any kind of clarity or affirmation. I think what we, we do know, though, is that when we're thinking about the ultimate hope of scripture – it's not this far off heavenly thing where we're looking down and loved ones are looking down some disembodied existence. I think that the greater hope of the scriptures is that number one, God will bring that justice that we see in Revelation that the martyrs are hoping for. And then number two, we were just talking about this at the break, the the, the resurrection, right? Those in Christ resurrected to eternal life in a new creation where death is no more. And those apart from Christ receiving uh, the justice they deserve to, to eternal condemnation, to Eternal separation from God, but that's that's such a good question, and I, I think that there there are good answers to it, and I, I think that those are things that need to be uh, answered sensitively. Matt, I love your pastor's heart and just how <laughs> really know, compassionate
1: you are towards all of these things, and I and I think that you, you hit on a key point right there and something that maybe somebody needs to hear is that uh, when your loved ones pass to the next uh, to to be with the Lord, they don't love you any less. Um, and that's that's important to recognize. It doesn't mean that they'll come to visit you. Uh, this is this is a, sometimes I think a, a dangerous um, thing that we that people might gravitate towards out of their their how desperately they miss their loved ones. But but they, their loved ones still love them, and and you don't love someone less in heaven. I think that you would love them in a greater sense once you uh, once you depart from the from your uh, flesh that limits you in many
3: ways. Hmm. I've always thought this is kind of an odd promise to begin with. And is, is it really comforting? You know, it's like we hear this, yeah, Bob is up now in the bowling alley in the sky looking down <laughs> upon us all. It's like, do, is that really a comfort? Do you want your yeah. dead relatives looking down on everything that you do on this earth now today? Mm-hmm. Is that really something that's comforting? I have just mm-hmm. never understood that. I I think you're right. There There isn't a specific Bible verse that I can cite, but I have a sense that God is the one who sees everything. He's yeah. the one that knows the beginning and the end, how many hairs are on our head, he knows the desires of our heart, he knows all things. I don't think believers who have died and gone up to heaven and who are with the Lord there, I I don't think they're completely aware of everything looking down on heaven. It's just I don't I don't see it because I see that God as being the one who knows all things. Yeah. Nicely
0: done, uh gentlemen. Thank you for that. Let's see, uh, lots of questions coming in, 877-933-2484. All right, this is uh, kind of a question that I think I love talking about, which is not necessarily a question, but one of the, my, my most interesting verses to discuss is um, John 3.16. And as Jewish believers, I'd love for you to break that down. Yeah, I know you can.
1: Yeah, amen. What what a beautiful what a beautiful section of scripture. Mm-hmm. John, John 3, right? He's having a discussion with uh, Nicodemus and uh, and in in his discussion with Nicodemus who's a Pharisee and a, a religious leader of the people of Israel. Um he's he's asked the greatest question, right? Um it, the the greatest question that anyone can ask. Uh um and and so the the question is really about uh, uh about w- what can we do what what can we do to, each, uh, to uh, inherit eternal life and and of course uh Jesus talks about the necessity for being born again um this is an unusual concept it, it's really born above is is the greek terminology that's used here but uh, uh but what he's stating is that something has to happen within humanity to be able to reconcile them to God. And this happens only through faith. And the illustration that he gives... In uh, John chapter three, verse fourteen is is powerful where where he says, "As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. for God so loved the world that He gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life as john three sixteen John three seventeen goes on and says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him." Might be saved. So, so really, faith is the method, and this is illustrated through this story with Moses. The people of Israel in uh, the book of Numbers were rebelling against God. God sent uh, fiery serpents that came and bit them. They died. Uh, they or they were dying. They repented. They came before Moses. God told Moses to make a bronze serpent and put it uh, and put it on a bronze pole, and then whoever looks on it won't die. So it's trusting in God. It's t- completely based on trust in the work of God, not anything that any of them could have done by themselves. And so really when we put our faith in the Lord, this is what offers eternal life. But this John 3.16 is so powerful in this context because the idea of sacrifice is really the idea of giving something that you value for the sake of something that you value more. And so what we see in this, where it says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Really what God is saying, that he values the eternal souls of you more than he does the body of Jesus. Um, it's, It's a massive and powerful statement and what can we do to deserve this or to own to to in order to uh to earn this uh, there's nothing we can do to deserve it but in order to inherit it all we have to do is put our faith and trust he just wants us to understand that he our Lord knows what's best for us. He wants what's best for us. And he's willing to allow us to enter into eternal life if we simply put our faith and trust that he died for our sins, the punishment that we deserved he put upon himself, and that he rose again from the dead so that if we put our faith and trust in him that the same spirit that rose him from the dead will rise us from the dead into everlasting life at some point in time. Beautiful, powerful, uh, The one of the most important sections of Scriptures easily. Amen. Matt, anything to add, or is that that's
2: good? I'm, I'm ready to get baptized again. I hear really? <laughs> 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 no, it, it, that's good. I don't think I can.
0: Yeah, that can was add beautiful, it. Trevor. Yeah. Thank you for that, Jeff. I know you love.
3: Amen. The amen. Passage. I know. I know. Anything else you want to throw in? Yeah, you know, you he already touched on several of the key points. I mean this this word believe is probably the most important. Word in all of Scripture in the Greek, it's pistiou, and there's this to believe it's true, but there's also this component of to entrust specifically for salvation, and this is the decision point. This this is the decision that every single person on the planet it will will divide humanity between those who say yes to Christ and believe and have eternal life, and those that say no to Jesus Christ. And we'll, like the verse says, we'll perish.
0: All right. 877-933-2484 is the number to send your question over. 877-933-2484. Let's see here. Um, We're going to continue as we talked about salvation in John 3.16. We don't have a lot of time before the break, but Jeff, can you give us a a little uh, brief couple sentences on Calvinism? That question got asked, and sure. helping to understand
3: how salvation is understood in a Calvinistic way. Yeah, there. I mean, this is a debate that's been going on in Christianity for hundreds of years. So, but generally speaking, Calvinism has five core points, the core of which are that is that God, in His sovereignty, has chosen or selected uh, some to believe and be saved and has decided or chosen others not to believe or not to be saved. And when I look at Scripture, I see a very simple plan of salvation, that God loves the world, that he wishes none to perish, that Christ came to die for the sins of the world, everyone in the world, and that he offers this new life, this being born again, Trevor, that you were just talking about, to whosoever, and that offer is truly to whosoever believes, and for those that do, he will save and save completely, uh, which is kind of the opposite of Calvinism. So it's you have to decide: does man have free will or not? And I believe man does have free will, and to whoever believes will be saved.
0: All right, we'll take a break. If we come back more time for your questions. Let me know eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four.
3: Be right back.
1: Show with Bill Arno. Time, drive time let's get it started jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Yeah. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno.
0: thank you for tuning in today it is guy talk or guys who talk I've Jeff Trevor and Matt my power panel today 877-933-2484. this is a comment I love this. I've been a Christian for less than 10 years. I live in a senior building and I'm interested in starting a Bible reading just for people who enjoy reading the Bible or haven't read it in a long time or who's never read it. I've made a disclaimer this is not a class and I'm not a teacher nor clergy. I just love reading the Bible and I'd like to share Bible reading with other like minded. I will also let people know that if they want to go deeper into any of the scriptures that we read, for them to consult their pastor. I'm hoping others will come and enjoy reading the Bible together. And do you think this is okay?
3: I think it's, I think it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, to, <laughs> Praise God. So, yeah, God tells us to not forsake meeting with one another or the public reading of Scripture. So I think that is, a, and the Word of God promises that it will not come back void. So read away. Yeah, very good. All right, let's see. Um
0: I had a really interesting question, and I gave it as a tease to you guys at the break, and then now I can't find it. Was that the Luke question? Uh, where'd it go?
3: Let's see. You want to paraphrase it to us? Yeah, well, let's see. I can't find it. It was great. it's a great question. Um, we had great answers
0: for it, by the said, way. Yeah. <laughs> you had, you had, it <laughs> had to do with the good and bad words, right? Yeah, Is that it's, in, it's in Luke six forty-five. I think. You guys are more helpful than I thought you'd be. <laughs> well,
2: we're gearing up, right? Yeah. Do you, do you have it, Trevor? Where did that disappear? Yeah. Like Luke 6.45, I
1: think. Yeah, sure. So the text says... Oh, I found it.
2: I found it. Do you want to read it? Yes. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> all right. Luke 6.45, translation uses good and evil for the fruit of our words. Mm-hmm. Please help define good based on true meaning, because it's hard to interpret for me. I considered using the word holy, but that is only for God, so I don't want to use that. I think we all agree on what evil means. But good is harder to explain to people today.
2: Yeah, Trevor, do you do you want to read that short passage um, from the, Luke, or I can oh, read sure. it too? No, I can. So it's okay. so
1: yeah, Luke six forty five, which says, "A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart
2: brings forth evil. For out mm-hmm. of the abundance of the heart, his mm-hmm. mouth speaks." Yeah that that seems to be kind of uh, hitting on something we've talked about a little bit already today and it's it's this idea that like who you are is an overflow of the one whom you're believing in right and so when we're talking about Jesus if we're if we're trusting in the in the lord we're reconciled to god like uh, that that is going to come out of you right he's giving you a changed heart by his spirit but i think the questioner was asking a question of like how do we define these terms of good And evil. And and when you're looking at scripture, it goes. Usually, this is just like a pro tip for people. When you're trying to figure out categories or certain words, ask if in the first three chapters of Genesis those things start to come up. And when we think about good and evil, that comes up. Really quickly, there's some trees we're introduced to, right? The tree of life and the the tree of the knowledge of, in Hebrew, tov and ra, or good and bad. And what does that tree embody or what does that tree communicate? That tree is kind of begging a question of Adam and Eve, whether they are going to define things according to their own autonomy and their own definition, or they're going to entrust themselves to God and allow him to define what is truly good and bad. And, and bad meaning... uh, uh rejected by him and good according to what is approved by him right and they obviously we know the story that they they decide to go their own way and define good and evil for themselves is actually as we think about practically speaking as, as we're even just like walking out on the street I think we have a similar issue today right where there isn't a standard of what good and evil is now as believers we believe that that God in his character is the uh well in Jesus the embodiment but God in and of himself is the 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 true definition and standard of good so it's like well what is good it is what comes from god and who god is Is right, and so as we're thinking about, okay, what does it mean to to speak good and evil words? I think we're asking ourselves the question do those words reflect the character of God? As we think about the fruits of the spirit, right, that's one place I think we go when we look at the life of Jesus, right, are the things that we're saying reflective of things that Jesus would say, or are they contrary? And anything that is contrary to the standard of God is what the scriptures would call evil. So, uh, you know, and even just speaking, I I just want to say this. mentioned about this idea of holy, right? that that's only for God. Actually, the scriptures don't say that's only for God. The scriptures say that that is for God's people as well, that we are called to be a holy nation. We are priests that are set apart. We're conferred with a status that is different as God is different, not exactly in the same way, but because God is different, he sets us apart as different, and then we live into that by the Holy Spirit, right? And so, I think that as we seek to be people who speak good and evil, we should also ask ourselves this question, in what way is what I'm saying reflecting the character of God and setting me apart as one who belongs to him?
3: That's perfect. Wonderful. And I was going to go there about that part of his question where he said that holiness is only for God, because... Now I've got a list of, I don't know, it's about two three pages long where God calls his people mm-hmm. to also be holy just as our heavenly father is holy. And and as you described very well, that holy really means, hagios in the Greek really means to be set apart. He has set apart his church for his purposes, hopefully doing his will, being his light, proclaiming his truth in this dark world. And that's what being holy is. Is it's it's the nation of Israel was set apart by God so that the nations may know God. He has set apart the church in this time so that the world may know that Jesus is Lord. Yeah, good. Generally, is
1: defined as uh, what's beneficial, not necessarily what we desire, but what's truly beneficial. And uh, and the Lord knows that. Hmm.
0: All right here's a question, gentlemen: Are the big players in the Bible also going to have a higher status in heaven? Or the new world, such as Abraham, Moses, Noah,
3: David, etc. Yeah, really quick. There's one that we know of. This is gets to the idea of of rewards when we get mm-hmm. to heaven. Are there mm-hmm. varying rewards? Scripture indicates that there are, but then er, different varying levels of authority or responsibility or or, or whatever in, in scripture. You got to be very careful because I, I don't think there's going to be a hierarchy, if you will, in heaven. Uh, such that some Christians are going to be over or above. I think there's one category of Christian that's saved, that's believe, and he who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. But at the same time, there's an indication that David, uh, during the millennial reign anyway, will be king over the people of Israel during that time. Uh, Somehow, as we rule and reign as the body of Christ during the millennial reign on earth, uh, there will be different roles and responsibilities, and at least David will have responsibility over all of, all of Israel underneath the Messianic Kingdom, anyway. So. Yeah, there's there's really not a
1: lot of clarity, right, regarding what these heavenly mm-hmm. rewards look like. Um, we, we read about them, right? So, uh, for example, in Matthew chapter uh, 10, verse 41, it says, He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. So there's even a distinct reward offered to certain people in different areas. But what is that? We have no idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, so uh, so is it good to do good? And uh, and are you rewarded in some way, shape, or form if it's truly uh, for the kingdom of God? I think so. Not to earn salvation. Salvation, of course, Jeff, as you were as you were very uh, clear in in alluding to, but but uh, but because there is something called a reward in heaven, and uh, and you know, as I was thinking about this, even as uh, being uh, an evangelist, is um, one of the rewards is the wonderful people that we get to be with mm. in eternity, mm-hmm, right? right. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, there's a, a well, uh, there's a, a statement uh, that that's made by an individual, not myself, who, who states that the one thing that you would want to do that you can't do in heaven is share Jesus with people who don't know. <laughs> so uh, so I mean, yeah, yeah. that's something that we focus on here, but there could be other forms of reward. We really don't know, um,
2: but clearly there is something to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, There seems mm-hmm. to be on the flip side also uh, various, I don't want to use the term levels, but various uh, expressions of condemnation too, in the same way that there are various rewards, we might say for, obedience there there is also uh, various expressions of condemnation i think of jesus when he's denouncing the cities in in matthew 11 and he's saying Uh, he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they didn't repent woe to you Chorus and woe to you Bethsaida for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes but I tell you it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for those cities than for you right and so there's these levels of of condemnation according punishment you might say according to what's deserved And and I think that makes sense we believe that God is just in the same way we believe there's various expressions of of justice and condemnation. Yeah, there's, there are some who will point out that that's the day of judgment, not necessarily sure.
3: ongoing. And you get to kind of the idea the the Dante's Inferno, where there's different levels of hell, yeah. and therefore there's different levels of heaven. and And I yeah. don't see justification for that in scripture. Uh, um, notwithstanding the the passage you just read being the day of judgment. But, uh, you know, in the end, look, we were just talking about John 3.16. The bifurcation, I think, that is clear in Scripture Mm -hmm. is that those who believe have eternal life and those who don't perish. Mm -hmm. All right, what book of the Bible would you
0: recommend a new believer read after John? I would say don't read John first.
2: I'm sorry. I go on about this all the time. Do you? What do you say with you, Matt? I I think Mark's a good place to start. Luke is good. Mark, Luke. I think John brings up all kinds of context stuff that takes a long time to. Discern through. Yeah. And, and it just raises all kinds of questions that might not be asked. And they're good questions to ask. But at the outset, I think it could confuse a new believer or someone who's seeking.
3: Okay. You so know. then Luke, then what would be next? Acts, would you say? Acts is a great nice book, yes, of course, because it gives
1: the early church and an distinct from the gospels. Um, but, uh, but actually, the, the comment on John, fascinating. So I, I agree with you. A hundred percent, Except for how I've seen it work, Matt, because uh, somehow spiritually, the Lord communicates who Jesus is so powerfully Mm -hmm. through John, where even in John chapter 20, verse 31, it says, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing you may have life in his name. It's a very confusing spiritually book. Yeah. But somehow people that don't understand so much of scripture, Mm. they seem to grasp John. I don't, I supernaturally maybe, Maybe I
3: don't know. It is because it is the favorite of the evangelical church for a long, long time that John is always the answer to that. Um, I like the chronology of luke and the way luke writes we were talking earlier about it, the different kind of personalities coming through through the different letters i love luke and then he goes right on to acts and describes the early church and the history of the early church and then we should say what about after that and yeah. i would say what hear what you guys say i'd say go to romans roman is this deep theological mm. book that yeah. starts describing that you are saved by faith martin luther obviously uh, yeah. was one who yeah. who found the truth in roman to be very powerful which led him to to protest if you will mm-hmm. uh, against the catholic church in his protestant reformation to say hey we are saved by faith and
2: faith alone i wonder if uh, this would be an interesting question for you trevor mm-hmm. to to ask as a fellow jewish believer like for if you're i wonder if there's a not a different maybe i wonder if there's a different answer for that uh, you know, you get through Luke, you get through Acts. Right? I thought you he start...
3: was going to say Matthew. Well, actually, I,
2: I was, I was thinking. I wonder if you were talking to a Jewish, uh, a Jewish person who's coming to faith or, or seeking. Right? Do you? Do we go back to Genesis? Right? So you can start to establish some foundation in the Hebrew Bible to point forward to Jesus. Yeah. That's <laughs> what? I'm, I'm,
1: I'm I'm interacting with a Jewish man right now, and I'm just <laughs> trying to get him to read portions of the Torah. Right? And he's he's making arguments against Trinity. Against. I'm like, no, no, no. Let's start from the beginning. And let's look and let's see what God says, and let's start there. But yeah, so so it can be beneficial in that context, uh, absolutely. But uh, it depends on the individual. Uh, Jesus this is very important to uh, to recognize, as far as for evangelism is concerned. Jesus addresses the people with the books that they would believe. So, for example, with the Pharisees, he will go towards the Torah, the first five books, because the Pharisees only accepted the first five books as canon. And so Jesus addresses that when he's like, for example, when they ask him about, uh, is, is uh, Jesus, uh, excuse me, uh, is, 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 when they're asking about eternal life, he says that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Is he the God of the living or the God of the dead? Uh, he's, he's only addressing out of the Torah because that's all that they recognize. So, mm-hmm. so we work with what people will give us. right? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll take a short break and come back
0: with more guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. I have Jeff, Trevor, and Matt here with me today. 877-933-2484. 877-933-2484. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Having a great time with the Power Panel today, Jeff, Trevor, and Matt. We've got uh, time for maybe a few more questions if you've got one that you just can't wait send it over 8779332484 all right gentlemen is the story of the archangel michael disputing with the devil over the body of moses in any jewish manuscripts i don't think it's anywhere in the bible except in jude
2: that's right yep it's uh it's only in jude okay uh, yeah i can the, the text right here yet in like manner this is verse 8 Uh, These people also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment but said, the Lord rebuke you, right? Yeah, so uh, this is from – and Trevor, you might have it in your footnotes there. I think it's from uh, Testament of Moses, if I recall, or at least that's the thinking around it, so an extra biblical text. Uh, and and so I I think we look at this in, in a, a similar way. Uh To when we're looking, I was reading Titus this morning and Paul quotes Epimenides of Crete where it's talking about Cretans being uh, lazy gluttons, liars, evil beasts, right? So it's a a, a biblical author leveraging extra biblical literature in order to make an illustration or to make a point about what's going on. And when we're talking about the book of Jude, uh, then we're dealing with uh, Jude making a point around the uh, false teachers uh, that's going on and he's comparing the situation here.
1: Yeah, and uh I think it's important to note, right? And I'm not sure where the caller's going with this, but it's important to note uh just cuz something's true doesn't mean it's scripture. And so true. if he's if he's quoting from another book, uh that doesn't mean that that other book is scripture. So for example, I could mm-hmm. I could write in my notes that I had a wonderful conversation with three uh wonderful men today on a radio program and uh, that would be true, but it's not God's word. Um, So sometimes you'll notice that there are things that are quoted from extra-biblical books simply because there is truth within them. Uh, People Mm -hmm. are writing about truth, but that doesn't make it God's Word.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. All right,
1: gentlemen, can you help
0: make understanding of this passage in Hebrews 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 8, where it says, Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And the question... Uh, is let's see. The question is, uh, what does this mean? Pretty simple question.
1: Yeah. So uh, where he says Jesus learned obedience. Yeah. So uh, let's let's start with uh, verse five, right? To kind of get some of the the context here, As is we're talking about uh, about Jesus as the high priest, right? And it says this in verse five. So also Christ died, or did, excuse me, not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also said in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Who, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with the vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Right? So this is our our context for where we're looking at this. And uh, and so what's happening here in this in this text is it's actually referring to Jesus's correlation to what's occurring within the priests within this context. Any uh, further information here guys want to take that over?
2: Yeah, well I think I think we know what it's not saying. I think that we start with clearly what the text is not getting at Too, I think it is not speaking to this fact that Jesus was sinful and all of a sudden he became obedient, right? Mm-hmm. That That's not what the text is getting at. I think what the text is getting at is kind of like Jesus puts when he talks to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is hesitant to baptize him. And Jesus said, let's do this because it's necessary for us to fulfill all righteousness. That Jesus needed to, you, you might say, step into the shoes of the fullness of the righteousness that he is going to give. He is perfect. He is, he is sinless. But there were certain things that he needed to step into in order that he might give of himself to be the perfect sacrifice. Uh, for 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 anyone uh, who would trust in him. And so what I think this text is getting at, and Jeff, I'd be curious to hear your take on it as well. What I think this text is getting at is that he learned what it meant to step into uh, who he was as the Messiah over time, right? He existed in space and time as the Messiah, and he stepped into those things so that he might give himself as the eternal high priest. I like
3: that. If I could, I'm going to go on to verse 9 because it's a much easier part of this passage to answer (laughs) because it says, once made perfect or once glorified, he became the source of eternal salvation. Jesus is the way, the truth of the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. And for all who obey him or believe in him, as we were talking about John 3.16, he will save. And and so that is what makes him our high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So Mm -hmm. this is... uh, you know, and that that gets to the heart of exclusivity of Christ as being the only way, the only door, the only mediator, the, mediator, the way, the truth, and the life to heaven. So that's that's the easiest part of the passage. But yeah. you're right; it, it, that is a difficult passage, and I, and I totally agree. That i that I don't think this passage means that Jesus somehow had to learn that obedience. I think this has to do with his incarnation in some way that that we just mm-hmm. don't understand, so yeah, and you know the the
1: reference that uh here with uh, Philippians chapter two verse eight, where he right. says in in being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient mm. to the point of death, even the death on the cross, so really it's a it's a self obedience and it's a self humility. Um, which uh, obviously uh, Jesus does learn to some extent, although again mm-hmm. he is God, so so we have this kind of confusion. But yeah. um, but there is the separation from the Father in which he learns and mm-hmm. understands what he's called to do and fulfills those things perfectly.
2: What's course. what's the Greek word, Trevor? Because you have your iPad open for uh, perfect in verse nine.
1: For perfect in verse nine. For it? Yeah, one sec. Okay. Telios?
2: yeah 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 so this this comes down to this is very similar. We were just talking about the end of, or the the end of the one section in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect right it's I think that we can look at that and say, oh, this is about moral perfection right and and in some ways, I think Jesus is uh calling his followers there in the Sermon on the Mount to a state. Uh, of, of moral perfection, or at least recognizing the Father is the morally perfect one, and we fall short of that, and we're called to live in the power of the Spirit into uh, how the Spirit sanctifies us. But that word teleos has connotations of wholeness and fullness that we're called to live into the fullness of the life that God has for us. And that's why I asked you to look it up, because in verse 9, if we take the connotation here, in being made whole or full or complete, right? This is why I think the text is talking about uh, that Jesus was living into the completeness of what it meant to be the Messiah. That's what he was learning, and that's what he was laying down for the people.
0: Nicely done, gentlemen. All right, let's see. Uh, When Saul calls up Samuel through a medium, is this a mm. power given to some people or was this Saul being foolish and God stepped in to deliver a message to Saul?
1: Isn't that a great question? <laughs> I, <love that.
0: laughs> I figured yeah. I'd open up a small can yeah. of worms. Yeah, you know, there's,
1: there's a condemnation from speaking to the dead yeah. mm-hmm. as if you can do it. Um, yeah. so, uh, so so that's, that's definitely a possibility there. Yeah. Um, and uh, But obviously it, there's a condemnation for speaking to the dead. And a <laughs> so, warning and a command not to do it, right? Right, so, right, right, Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so what we see there is clearly disobedience to God. God does use it to bring condemnation, although it does seem to be something that there is an element of ability to. Otherwise, why would you condemn people regarding something that they can't do of uh, in a conceivably i
3: yeah. i agree totally with that i would add today i don't know that most of the people who are doing it really have that ability because there's a lot mm-hmm. of fraudsters out there and, and there's also a bunch of spirits out there mm-hmm. that can impersonate a dead person and are happy to mm-hmm. oblige when you call on the dead but i it seems like this is actually a real possibility but yeah. god does come in stay away from that stuff yeah i agree So uh, that kind of
0: wraps up our time, gentlemen. What'd you think? How'd you have have fun? Yeah, it's always fun. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, your first timer, Matt. Yeah, yeah, you come back. I'd come back. Yeah, thanks for having me. I don't don't know if I'm
1: coming back, Bill. Tough questions today. Really? (laughs) (laughs) They were
0: tough today. They were good. They were good
3: questions, weren't they? You guys did fantastic. He he gives us pizza afterwards, by the way, Matt. So (laughs) every week, every week, really. Well, no, You just promise I've, I've heard anyways. yeah, I do promise it, and then
0: oh, I don't no. ever come through on the <laughs> on the delivery part, so uh, it's not my uh now I just I just tease with pizza, yeah, but you're, you're not getting pizza All right. <laughs> thank you so much for sending in great questions. I didn't get to all of them, and I apologize for the ones that we didn't get to some of them uh when I read them, they're slightly more complicated and, and I need time to figure out how to best present them so. I do delay. It's not that I skipped your question. Uh, Sometimes it's easier to try to figure out how to position the question so it gets asked correctly and and, uh, clearly. That's the big difficulty with some of the questions that come in over the text line. So thank you for sending in the questions, and thank you for being with us today. My guests have been Jeff Verdorn, Trevor Rubenstein, and Matt Fry. We have loved being together with you. I appreciate uh, you, and thank you for caring about me here at Faith Radio, and Ryan, and we just, we love you, and we hope you have a great night. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.